Good morning, church. My name is Tim Power, and I'm flawed and broken, and I also happen to be a pastor here at Salem. Now, I wanted to open with that confession because it's true, but also because as a church, we're spending a few weeks looking at the stories of folks in the Bible who are flawed but faithful. In fact, that's the name of the sermon series, Flawed and Faithful. And I really cannot stress to you how important it is that we remember, as Christians, we don't claim to be flawless. We don't claim to be sinless. We don't claim to be better or above anybody else. In fact, the central claim of the Christian faith can be found in Romans 3, 23 and 24. It says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? All, everybody has sinned and fallen short. That means I'm flawed. That means it's not about how good I am. It's about how good Jesus has been. Now, Christians have a reputation in our culture, and often it's a reputation that we've earned by our own bad behavior for being self-righteous, judgmental, arrogant, and hypocritical. And often, because of the way that Christians act in public, we're found guilty on all counts there. And, and if you struggle with Christianity because you've seen too many Christians get it wrong, I'm sorry. We're flawed. We're broken. It's almost like we need to be saved. We really do. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Flawed, but with God's grace, we want to be flawed but faithful. Today, I get to tell you the story of one of my favorite flawed and faithful Bible characters. His name is Jacob, and his story can be found in the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 25, and he remains a central character throughout the rest of the book. The scripture I really want to focus on today is from Genesis 32. It's verses 22 through 30. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, that's a separate sermon, by the way, his two women servants and his 11 sons and crossed Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him and he helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, because I have seen God face to face and my life has been saved. Now, a little background. Jacob's grandpa was a guy named Abraham 
who is really important to the history of Christians, but also important to the history of the Jewish and Muslim people. We all trace our origins back to this one guy, Abraham. So Abraham was a very successful and well-established man from a land called Ur. When Abraham was 75 years old, God told him to leave his home and to travel to a new land called Canaan and said that he was going to have a child and that his descendants would be so numerous that they'd be like the stars in the sky or the sand on a beach, way too many to even count. Now, I'm almost 40. Abraham has 35 years on me. But if I heard this call from God, I'd probably think, are you crazy? I'm too old for that. I go to sleep at 9.30 every night. I cannot be a pioneer. I can't have a baby. But that's exactly what happened to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They moved to Canaan and they had a son named Isaac. And years later, Isaac married a girl named Rebekah and they had two sons of their own. Now, the story of Jacob, that's the guy we're talking about today, of his being born is really important. Now, Jacob's parents, remember, his parents are Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac and Rebekah find out they're pregnant, God actually tells them they're going to have twins. And that even now, in Rebekah's womb, the twins are fighting each other for dominance. And there's this great prayer that Rebecca prays when she hears this, that she's going to have twins and that not only will they kick, they're probably kicking each other right now in her womb. She prays this. She prays, why is this happening to me? Now, isn't that a prayer for all moms of all time? Why is this happening to me? In fact, that should be the name of our next Mother's Day sermon. Why is this happening to me? And when these twins are born, the first one comes out, he's covered in red hair. They call him Esau, which means red. And when they pull him out, there hanging on to his heel is his twin brother. You hear that? Hanging on to his heel. Like from the very beginning, they're fighting about who would be first. So they name the second twin Jacob. And that literally means heel grabber or heel catcher or supplanter, which means someone who's trying to turn things over or overthrow things. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel bad for Jacob. He came out of the womb with a bad reputation, defined by an action that he probably wasn't even conscious of at the time. But forever, he would be known as heel grabber, always somebody who's fighting to get into first place. Well, the two brothers grow up, and Esau, who was technically the firstborn, even though it's only by a few seconds, Esau is a great hunter. He's an outdoor kind of guy, a big, hairy guy. But Jacob is the opposite. Jacob is somebody who's a homebody. We're told that he has smooth and soft skin, and the Bible says that he likes to stay among the tents. Since Esau is technically the firstborn, that means he's entitled to a greater share of their family's inheritance. That's just how it worked back then. That also means he's entitled to something kind of unique in the ancient world. He's entitled to his father's blessing. This was really important to ancient people. That before his own death, the father would lay his hand on the firstborn and bless them. And that was supposed to have a long-term positive impact on the son and everything he tried to do or accomplish. Well, 
you remember who Jacob is, right? He's the heel catcher. He's the supplanter. So do you think that he's going to stand by and let Esau get the blessing? No. See, Jacob suffers from a condition that I think many of us suffer from to one degree or another. He suffers from dissatisfaction manifest in self-seeking and self-centered behavior. See, Jacob doesn't just want, he wants more. He doesn't want to be good, he wants to be better than everybody else. He doesn't want to be rich, he wants to be richer. He doesn't want to be strong, he wants to be stronger. Er, always with the er. Do you remember that where his grandpa came from? The land of er? I think Jacob still got some of the er in him. Now, as Christians, we call this the sin of pride. It's this thing in us that can never really be satisfied, this drive not to just have, but to have more than the next guy. It's like a hunger that you can never eat enough to fill it. Jacob was born with it. Remember, it's the name they gave him, the heel catcher, the supplanter. But, but actually, all of us are born with it. Did, did any of you parents have to teach your kids to be selfish? Did any of your parents have to teach your kids not to share? No, see, it's something we all have. We, we call that original sin. It's the flawed part of ourselves that we need Jesus' help to get free of. We're born as heel catchers. Now, I know some people don't like this idea of original sin. When people tell me they don't really believe in original sin, I know that they don't have kids. And when people tell me they don't believe in the devil, I just know that their kids aren't in middle school yet. Anyway, Jacob still got this thing inside of him. He's got to be bigger. He's got to be better. He's got to be richer. He's got to be stronger. So he's not going to let his brother get that blessing. In fact, when his dad gets really old, when he's on his deathbed, Jacob, along with his mom, they come up with this plan to fool his dad. So he dresses up in his brother's clothes so he'll smell like him. He even puts on some animal pelts to feel like him. His dad doesn't see so good at this time. He tricks his dad into blessing him. He steals the blessing from Esau. Talk about a heel catcher. Talk about a supplanter. As you might imagine, Esau doesn't like this. In fact, he vows when he finds out about it to kill Jacob. And Jacob, that old homebody, goes on the run. He has to leave home and doesn't see his family, his brother, his mom, his dad for a long time. Eventually, Jacob gets married himself. Twice, in fact. And that's its own story and its own sermon. And that's where we encounter Jacob in the scripture we read earlier. He's all grown up. He's married. He's established. He's got his own house, his own servants. Well, while he's traveling with his family, he actually sends his wives his kids and his servants ahead of him. And he has this encounter with this guy down by the river. And the only way I can describe the encounter is weird. It's not a guy he's familiar with. Uh, we know that because later on he asked the guy what his name is. Basically, Jacob has this encounter with this guy and they wrestle all night long. Perfectly reasonable behavior, right? Well, Maybe if your name is heel catcher, this kind of thing happens to you more often. But the strange situation which occurs, well, most scholars and theologians believe it's a divine encounter. That in fact, 
And this is borne out by what we see later in the conversation they'll have that Jacob is wrestling with God. And at some point, God touches, it says his thigh, some translations say his hip, and it dislocates his hip. And I find this interesting. I read in one commentary that at this point in his life, Jacob is probably in his late 70s. Suddenly that hip injury makes a lot more sense, right? So they wrestle all night long and Jacob is hurt, but he won't stop wrestling until he gets what? Until he gets the blessing from this man. See, this is so Jacob, right? He will go to any length, won't he? He will catch any heel. He'll betray any brother. He'll wrestle any strange man down by the river if he can get the blessing. If he can get that selfish, er, better, stronger, richer. It's at this point that God does something really strange. He gives him a new name. He calls him Israel. Now, that word Israel means one who overcomes with God. Now, doesn't that name sum up Jacob? It sums up me and it sums up just about anybody else who spends most of their life fighting for things that never really satisfy on their own. If I get this blessing, I'll be happy. If I get this job, this wife, this house, then I won't need to wrestle anymore. Sometimes God's just got to touch us on the hip, lay us out on our back and say, no, you're not a heel catcher anymore. If you want to overcome, it can't be on your terms, on your own. I'm calling you to overcome with God, with your life surrendered to me. Remember, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of the ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. See, Jacob's wrestling match with God is a match that we all go through. Maybe some of us are going through it right now. It's a wrestling match between my grit or God's grace. See, when we stop trying to catch heels, when, when we give up, when we give into the grace of God, that's when everything really changes. See, that's when God does for us what we really can't do for ourselves. Now, I, I want to end today with an observation, and it, it's not original to me. Pastor Stephen Furtick noted something in a in really great sermon about Jacob, something that fascinated me. You know, God renames Jacob, right? In chapter 32 of Genesis, he renames him Israel. And, and you would think that for the rest of time, he would be referred to as Israel, but he isn't really. See, sometimes throughout Genesis, sometimes he's called Jacob, sometimes he's called Israel. But here's something that I think is really powerful. Centuries later, when another flawed man of God named Moses has an encounter with God, this time not down by the river in a wrestling match, this time in a burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses and asks for him to become God's prophet. See, God just called Moses to be his prophet, and Moses is worried that none of the Israelite people will believe he really talked to God. So he says, who should I say sent me? And God responds like this, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abram's God, Isaac's God. And see, I thought he would say Israelite's God, right? Because that's the good version of Jacob, right? The new one the redeemed one. But actually it says, 
Jacob's God. He's the God not just of Israel, but of Jacob. The heel catcher's God, the supplanter's God, the God of the selfish guy, the guy who doesn't get it right, the guy who's flawed. See, here's what that means to me. It means that God's grace meets me, not in my best moments, but in my worst. That no matter how far short I've fallen, the God of Jacob is still my God. That transformation is possible not because of how good I am, but because of how good God is. Here's what that means for you and for me, for all of us flawed and broken people. It's not about how good we can be. It's about how good God has been already in our lives. It's about us giving over our lives to a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Now, in a moment, we're going to be taking communion together. And we'll do that in the form of a love feast. And so you don't even have to have uh, bread or grape juice. You can use anything for that. But I want you to know that this is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. As we read earlier in the book of Romans, Jesus gave his life so that we could have a new life. Just like Jacob has a new name. We can live differently. We can love more deeply because of what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to celebrate that in the form of a love feast. So I'm going to ask you right now, you, you can pause the video and I want you to get something to eat and something to drink. And that will be our stand-in for our bread and our juice. And we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus gave his life because we, he knew that we're flawed people, that we fall short, but he always comes through. So go ahead and get whatever elements you want for you and for anybody who is with you to take part in this love feast. And we'll see you in a second.